This is a crowd podcast. The show's banged out, sold out instantly. If you could collaborate with any living boxer to write their autobiography, who would you choose and why? I went out to Miami to hang out with David Hay. Who wins, Wilder or Joshua? Would Hearns at Welterweight beat Spencer Crawford? So what would you say to the young George Groves now? Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, George. Hello, Andy. <laughs> Andy McClee. Uh George, hi. That felt nice. You let me do the, the first word. Yes, because we're going to do a Q&A today. It's a special app. Jack, and you've got the questions. Yeah, you'll be doing a lot of the talking. I've got the answers. <laughs> yeah, I've got the questions. You've got the knowledge. So there so we I go. So how, how are you doing? I'm great. Plus, I, I stuck it on my stories. Anyone want to send me a question? Not one fucker sent me a question. Yeah, so you did it too late. The Twitter one went viral, though. Did it? Hashtag uh, Ask George things is gone George. all over the shop. Elon Musk got in touch. Was is like, it lost as the base questions? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> refunds very good now so thank you to everyone we had an absolute plethora of questions some of them we already did in the first Q&A we did Won't some time back so if you asked a Go question back and listen to the first yeah listen one. to that and if you're like oh and feel ashamed of yourself for asking the question we've already done you should feel ashamed but those of you who came up with some new stuff anyone ask about how many fans at Wembley uh, yeah there'll be a few of them oh I hope so yeah. okay well let's get straight into it we've got loads to get through and yeah thanks for all of your questions and apologies if we didn't go, don't get to it but I will do our best First one's from a person called Leith Davis. Ross assures me that's correct. Leith, happy days. Welcome. If you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently preparing for the Frotch 1 fight? Now right. that... Prepar- well, have I answered this and you know the answer? Well, the preparation for that first fight was mental, wasn't it? Just paints a picture of what happened in the build-up to that fight. Your first ever world title fight, your big, big moment, but everything changed. Yeah, so I fell out with Adam Booth, who was my trainer. Ideal. Surely anyone who's listening to this podcast <laughs> knows, knows that. By now, <laughs> fell out of Adam. Adam was a trainer, manager, promoter. But I was in this sort of this situation deck where uh, I was mandatory for the IBF world title. Cole the Cobra Frotch was the champion. He had the WBA as well. He was mm. an international superstar. I was contractually free. But yeah, we parted ways and it's 10 weeks out and I've got a world title fight. And, you know, it's liberating. I'm like, wow, here we go. I don't need you. You're holding me back. Get out of my way. Let's get on with it. So we uh, we go up, we do the press conference, and I am sort of like a one-man band at that point. I remember that press conference because I went there. It was in Manchester. And I remember there was no... Like, Adam wasn't there. And it was like, that's weird. Like, maybe he's busy, but I mean, it's fucking George's yeah. presser before the Frotch fight. You think his trainer would be here. And only on the train back did we hear that you'd parted company. But we should have just asked, like, where the fuck's Adam? Didn't Carl mention it in the face-off? Yeah, or Carl he, said to me on the face-off, where's your trainer? Yeah. And then we're there, we're there. We've got to do yeah. it. I think, you know what? But you got oh, no... T- pretty cool. you got I'm no coach, though. get it on just to get it done. Yeah, no coach. But I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, verse to verse, I would train myself mm. but I'll, I'll, I'll go and talk to Paddy who ended up training me for that fight uh, Paddy Fitzpatrick Paddy Fitzpatrick shout out Paddy Fitzpatrick mm. him and Adam had fell out Paddy had been in the gym as sort of a, I don't know like in the gym so I'll do ad hoc pads with pads him and stuff, yeah. like a little bit you know usually when Adam just wasn't in or wasn't around and I think them two used to like to chew the breeze together and they would talk boxing and come up with game plans together and stuff like that and then I trusted Paddy's vibes and that and essentially the fight's here I know I can beat Frotch so I'll listen to him rather than trying to source a new coach uh, who someone who I might not listen to anyone who's going to sort of disagree with me and Paddy knew me enough where I thought we could get, get a good job done so um, 
it's always what ifs, what ifs. What ifs. Essentially, I didn't win that fight, so it would have been better if I did win it. I, I would have liked to have won it. Of course, it would have changed the course of everything. Mm. Everyone likes to tell me we wouldn't have had Wembley. Yeah, it's true. But it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we had the rematch, yeah. Uh, we, we we would have. I wasn't frightened of Cole Frutch. It wasn't. Oh, this is my one chance. If I beat him, then I'm I'm not giving mm. him another. You were very chance. young as well. Yeah. Mm. Like let's get. Let, I get it straight. Like, and this is honest. Honesty here. Uh, the fight with Degal gets made. You're going to try and edge this fight out. Adam Booth didn't back me to sit in the pocket and fight with him. I wasn't the well-rounded fighter, or the more well-rounded fighter I was by the time I meet Frutch. So we're going to box on the back foot. I win that fight on a split decision away from home and they go, do you want to fight Degal again tomorrow? I'm like, nah, I want to move on mm. because at that point in your career, you're like, right, well, what? I've, I'm climbing the ladder. I want it more. They've done the, you've you've won the fight then. Fighting Frotch. If they're like, you're going to fight Frotch again, don't forget it, we're at the top of the tree now. I'm mm. world champion and you're talking about, can we make a stadium fight out of this? Absolutely. You know, would it have the same buzz and excitement as the controversy of the rematch? Of course not, but I would have made something of it. When I was motivated, I was talented doing that. And I would have liked to have been on the champion split. Obviously, the fight, though, went a bit awry and we all know what yeah, happened with the controversial finish. In terms of the fight, I'd like to have had a bit more variety apart from just throwing big right hands on his button. Like in the fight, yeah. In the fight. Mm. You know, you skip forward to my fight with Fedor Chudinov, I, I buzz him, but nowhere near as hard as I've buzzed Carl Frotch. I now have the experience of, right, don't just go right hand happy, which is my money shot. I know it's my money shot, but I'm hitting Chudinov with right hands, left hooks, right uppercuts, bodies. I'm, you know, I'm trying to go head and body. I'm trying to give him variety, and that's what I should have done with Frotch. He gets up after that first knockdown in the first round. People are like, oh, should you have really jumped on in there and then? But I wasn't sure how much was left in that round. You know, I wasn't sure how buzzed he was, and I wasn't going to empty the tank trying to finish him and then gas out yeah, in the next round. Out, yeah. But after that, yeah, sure, there could have been a lot more head and body. There could have been a lot more variety apart from in the sixth round, I go for it. I do try and put a serious dent in him. So, you know, you can beat yourself up. And in the prep, so Leaf asks, would you have done anything in the, differently in the prep? So would it have been ideal or would it have been an idea at that time to just stick with Adam, stick it out even though the, the relationship had crumbled and just be with Adam for that fight? Or was it just beyond repair at that point the relationship had run its course mm. like i felt like it run its course and i was sort of just gonna stick with it for as long as we possibly can and and i'd been around for the for the meteoric rise of david hay you know uh, i wasn't around when he was ducking and diving and hustling do you know what i mean when he's having to go out and fight in paris against Mormek to win the belt I wasn't there when they were negotiating back and forth with Warren trying to get the Macronelli unification and doing that in two in the morning I don't know how much they got paid they'd done a Satanta deal which you know at the time might have been best move might not have been I sort of emerged straight away Satanta went bust and they'd done a deal with Sky Box Office and they were at the forefront I mm. thought these guys know everything about boxing and then within within the time you realise that's not true obviously no one really knows everything about boxing and sometimes you get a lucky break sometimes you don't my, my relationship had run, run its course with Adam Booth and I was like well I'll just keep going he's a good coach mm. and if I can get the best out of him I'll win the fights you know um, sometimes this happens you know and, and I'll tell Adam to his face you know it's sometimes it's really good sometimes it's not sometimes you can be a little bit spoilt at times and I feel like the picture that was painted to me from Adam is like, I was always told boxers 
need to prioritize themselves over everything. You know, you leave your family behind, you leave this behind. You, I need you in Cyprus for six weeks. It's good for you. Get out there. You know, make every sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. You can't then move the goalpost and be like, oh, by the way, nah. I know I said I've you got to put yourself first and everyone's got to work around you, but I've got a tennis lesson at two o'clock, so can we push your punching session back? I can't come to your press conference with Carl Froch because, you know, I need to be in London. There might be a bit of sparring. And I'd seen David be the man and I just figured, John, I'm here now. I've done my apprenticeship. I've headlined against the Gale. You know, I've I've got through every acid test. I've proved myself. I've proved my worth. I've proved my loyalty. Now that investment that I've made, I need to see it back. Mm. And it, it was, it didn't come and it was weird and it was hard and it was awkward, but it was right and it was liberating. That it was, was it? it was amazing. It was the best feeling I've ever had in boxing. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember going to a meeting at Callis Owlin's house in Notting Hill and Callis Owlin's got a lovely house in Notting Hill. And I'm thinking, oh, one day I'd love to, you know, I know Notting Hill. We used to run past his house. I never knew this was his house. I run past his house at the Dale Youth, you know. And I'd had the, the Degal fight where I've headlined a pay per view show, but that helped me out with a deposit for a flat. By the time I skip forward to now, I'm fighting Frotch. I have no money. I'm living fight to fight. Yeah, you, you know, and I'm not living the lavish lifestyle. I still drive around in the Ford Focus at the Callis Allen's house. I don't talk. I sit there, and Adam does all the talking, and I'm I'm that sort of guy. Believe it or not, especially then. I could just sit back and listen and absorb and in some ways it helped me. I can be like a bit of a sponge, I'll be learning. But then once I'm free to talk, you'll see me. I remember like Callis Allen, I probably blew his mind. It's like, who's this little, this little fucker didn't say a word? And now look at him, <laughs> look at him. And I showed I was capable of it because the build up with DeGale, it was, you know, people sort see a bit more of a different side to me. But at this point now, I'm, I'm trying to run the show. Mm. I'm winging it, like absolutely winging it. Of course I am, you know, but I'm winging it with just on gut. You will obviously come unstuck and unravel at some point, but it was a exciting, thrilling part of my life, part of my journey, as well as like taxing, very, very yeah. exhausting. So with that, so that had all happened ten weeks before the fight. Then the biggest thing that what went wrong there was that I wanted to win that world title and have a checkout mentally, just for just for a week, even just mm. to be like, well, go and do the press with a smile on my face. I'd be at the opening of a crisp packet, you know, if I thought someone was going to write about it or whatnot. So one thing I wanted to tidy up was my management agreement with Adam Booth. So I went to the board and I said, listen, I've got messages from Adam saying he no longer wants to work with me. So let's get it done now. I was trying to be clever, trying to be greedy maybe and just be like, I'm not paying him 25% of this yeah, when, he says he don't want to when he's trying, to, he's trying yeah. to fuck me up for it. But yeah, we had, had a meeting with the board of control and they were like, we ain't going to do nothing. You can take it to the courts. That threw me off a little bit because at that point I felt like I was doing really well. Everything was going my way. You know, I was trying to rattle Frotch and I was, you know, I was trying to rattle Eddie Hearn and I was. The show's banged out, sold out instantly. Everyone's on my case saying I'm going to get smashed up and I'm too arrogant and the rest of it. But I reveled in that. I'm beating my chest. I'm like, you wait and see. I can't wait to shock the world. But that one was kicking the bollocks like mm. um, from the board. Well, so they didn't do it? Yeah, they was like, so we had a little look, made a presentation. To be fair to them, I think they said, let's sort it out after. Yeah, and yeah. I said, no, it's a massive chunk of change on the paper here. And not being funny, after I beat Froch, am I going to have to give him 25% of my future earnings as well? I don't fancy that. Mm. Like not with the way the circumstances are. And I felt let down. It's not about fighters' wel welfare and mentality and stuff like that it's um it's much more to it than it than that so uh that was I, and that and that threw me off 
I failed weight for two weeks Did and you? then I had to crash the weight. So I was taking off a kilo a week, um, regimented with diet, regimented with the training. Nothing changed, but stress and anxiety must have been seeping through the blood because no weight came off for two weeks. And then I was chasing it for the last week and then I had to take off a tiny little bit more than I would have been happy with uh, up in Manchester for the fight. Okay. So just for the record then, if you can, what at what stage did that get sorted? Did it happen instantly after the, after the first fight? So, you sorted it out in that? Yeah, I mean, I saw Adam came to the fight he had a fucking Andy Lee on the undercard. Yeah, and he did the comms, I think. Or he might have done comms. Yeah, Andy Lee was on the undercard, definitely. Yeah, he was boxed it, was he on the undercard of Wembley for, or French Hafner, Manchester. Manchester, right? So, fight, yeah. so he had Andy Lee on up there. So Adam was there. We didn't see each other beforehand. I didn't stay in the fighters' hotel. And uh, yeah, no, we bumped into each other in the hallway after we have a cuddle. It's he's gutted for me. It was probably really good thing that we did that because then we could uh, keep on comms enough to mm. set up a meeting where we didn't need a mediator. Uh, we done a deal. We thrashed out a deal. I was like, listen, Luke, we can't work together. Let's find a deal that we're both comfortable with and part ways now. He agreed. So yeah, so we did that contract given um, brought to an end sort of our, the management agreement that you have. So every fight has to have a manager's mm. uh, agreement because they have to have a manager to be able to get a pro license mm. and a manager has to be a board licensed manager you have to go through a process you have to be years into being uh, a licensee of the british boxing board of control before you can even apply for a manager's license so don't go to everyone uh but fortunately for me at that point being a, a pro fighter for four or five years or whatever it was um i could appeal with a boxing board of control and become self-managed mm. which was good for me Big question that from Leaf. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but uh, great answer as leaf well. Leaf it there. Let's leave it out for now. Good one, this. Martin Goodwin Sharman. He says, hi guys, been listening since day one and it's joy to put on in the gym, on a run or driving around. Perfect. Love it. The Holy Trinity. I've just finished reading The Four Kings and was wondering which of the four is your favourite? And also, are there any must read when it comes to boxing? Keep up the great work. Martin, nothing to do I know Christmas. who they are if that's what yeah. you're panicking there's about. No, there's no frankincense. I used to like Hagler. Jo oh, jo nice, I, never, yeah. I never went back and seen enough of them. Mm. I've seen the classics. I've seen Hagler Hearns and I've seen um, Leonard fight all them. But Duran might have been might have been the favourite because he's sort yeah. of like... He's my favourite. He shouldn't belong there, should he? No. And he must have been that good to be up at middleweight fighting them guys. And even fight at welterweight, or was it all at middleweight? It was welterweight. Um, I think he got knocked out by Tommy Hearns at welterweight, which is one of the more stark knockouts as Duran getting knocked out, proper iced by Hearns. And it's one of them where you just think, fuck, he's too small for this weight. So is there a book called The Four Kings? There's a book called The Four Kings. It's a great book, by the Who way. Who wrote like that? George Edward Kim Kimball. Like you had these four massive names. So Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvellous Marvin, Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, The Four Kings. And they all fought each other. Whereas now... You had four people like that. They wouldn't fight each other. Look how long we've had to wait for Spence and Crawford to finally get on. That's just two of them. Who's your favourite out of all them? Duran's my, my favourite out of them. And of course, Duran was the one who beat Sugar Ray Leonard in the first fight, outboxed him. And then in the rematch, that was the no-mass fight. So they, yeah. they, they then had a rematch and that was the one where Leonard was like, turned it all around. Duran went a bit off the rails after the win. Leonard was like, I ain't losing again got on the back foot, proper outboxed him. And that was the one where Leonard uh, Duran famously says, no mass, as in like, I'm not doing it anymore. People say it was a quit, but it was more like, I can't fucking touch this guy. You know, he's dancing around and he's boxing. And he suffered for that, didn't he? He did, but it- he got but, massive backlash back home. Yeah, because it looked like a quit, but it wasn't a quit as in like, oh my God, I can't take it. It was just like, fuck this. It's like what Lomachenko was doing to like Nicholas Waters and people like that when he was making them quit. It's not, I mean, that was slightly different, but Duran was just like, I can't, like, I ain't having this. I want to have a fight. 
Duran was like coming up from lightweight. So he was like the smaller guy with all of them. Leonard was like the golden boy out of the Olympics, etc. He had a small, he had a, like a small career as well. Hagler, famously the middleweight monster, Southpaw beat Alaminta to win the title. And then they kind of boxed. So it was like this meeting of four massive names that were kind of comfortable at different weights, but they all eventually kind of came together. So my favorite was Duran. And if you want a bit of background on it, yeah, that book by Kim, Bob, George Edward Kimball is, is the one. Who was your favorite? Hagler. From what you like Hagler. Hagler. Yeah, so Hagler's monster, beast, yeah. middleweight. Apart yeah. from being a southpaw, if he was orthodox, he would he'd be even better. Yeah, he's one of the greatest southpaws of all time. Yeah, right? yeah, well, yeah. But all of them, they're like little superheroes. Like all of them had these different traits. They never had like, I mean, apart from Hearns, and maybe Duran who had a lot of fights, but Hearns had probably longer than you expect. The other guys didn't, did they? Leonard retired pretty young with only... He came, did he come back? He come yeah, back he, to Yeah, he had fight. like an eye injury. He fit, his, his finishing record, like comparatively these days, is kind of normal. But back then... He, he retired 36, three and one. So what's that? 40 fights. He only had 40 fights as a pro at that time. It's not in, not much. He came back, obviously beat Hagler in one of the most controversial decisions of all time, split decision there. That was Hagler's final fight. He just disappeared after that defeat and he moved to Italy and we never saw him again, that, which I thought was great. And that was like one of the real redeeming features. He was like, fuck this, I, you know, I'm not coming back. That's me done, disconnected from it. Uh, Leonard went on for a bit, went up a bit further, lost to Terry Norris, lo lost to Hector Camacho. Duran was still hanging around at that time. Hearns, obviously from the Kronk, the welterweight, big puncher, et cetera, et cetera. So massive names and like icons of the sport that just happened to be in the same era mixed together. Would Hearns at welterweight beat Spencer Crawford? I think you've got to say Spence and Crawford, both of them, you could put them in any era and they do like they do some business. But I would say I'd pick Hearns to be, beat both of them. But yeah, read that book's amazing. I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying Leonard's the only one who beat all of them. The only one to beat all the other kings. Obviously one of the greatest of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard. But any other boxing books, George, that you can recommend? I've got a couple. Have you got any you've written, Deck? I'll, I'll no. recommend them. I've got a top three that I'm going to hit you with. Not my favourite three of all time, but three that spring to mind. All right, go on So the go. first one, Dark Trade by Don McRae, is my, probably my favourite boxing book. Really good read. Go and read that if you haven't yet. Don McRae, obviously esteemed boxing journalist, who then wrote this book where or he did this back in the day before he was and now he writes to the Guardian as a journalist but it, there's kind of journeys with him and James Tony, Nassim Hamid Mike Tyson these little excerpts a really good book that's really nice my favourite if I was to say go and read this book it'd be that autobiography Andy Lee's one really really good Andy Lee's second mention of the pod and Road to Nowhere by Tris Dixon who's in the club great book he was when he was a, like a pup reporter travelling across America on buses sleeping in bushes and that just trying to make a living and he interviewed all these fighters, met all these fighters, and it's just like an old, almost like an old memoir of that time. Really good. And obviously he's written Damage as well, Tris Dixon. So there's a few for you to get your teeth stuck into. Got any when jaws coming? Should probably when are you going to write it? Do yeah. you fancy a run Yeah, here? we should probably get that. Watch this space. We should probably get the ball rolling on that one. We just um, transcribe some of this shit that we do on here. Hey, that's an idea. Ross, is, I can see the, the dollar signs in his eyes. Right, anyway, that's a good one. Cheers, Martin. Goodwin, Shaman. Jack Buckland, not Jack Butland, the goalkeeper, Jack Buckland. He says... Do you not think the pro-grey fight was scored awfully? Knocked down, not counted, etc. I don't know. Yeah, I watched it. it. Groves then watched it, Jack. Sorry. And two, I'd love to hear a pod on how to fight injured and how injuries affect the fighter's mental state in camp. Now, that's less of a question, but it's a statement and that's a good one. You fought injured basically, didn't you? Callum Smith, we've been over this. The shoulder was essentially not up to scratch at that point. But yeah, I mean, and it happens sporadically throughout your career where you sort of have to fight not 100% and I'm not the only one to have done it many people will do it have done it sometimes you get an injury during a fight you have to cope with it sometimes something will come up fight week 
and you're, and you're thinking, do, do I pull out? Do I not? And that's usually like a bug or a virus because you're not really doing hard training. Unless you're like Carl Frampton's opponent had the weigh-in and then passed out in the shower and yeah. knocked his front teeth out. Yeah, that was a bad one. And uh, conspiracy theorists were flying at that yeah. point because Frampton had failed the weight. But um, I mean, I had the shoulder in the last fight. The left side just wasn't the same as it was. And I was in great shape for the fight before against Chris Eubank Jr. So I knew freshly of what, what it felt like. And I was fighting this big guy called Callum Smith, who's six foot three, six foot four, and just trying to get my arm, left arm that high in the air was yeah, hard enough, point. let alone mm. trying to have any force behind the jab. I, remember, I think during that fight, I remember thinking, I don't, I, and I had to crash the weight, like it crashed the weight because I wasn't doing a lot, of, as many sessions as, as I used to. Because of the shoulder. Yeah. Because you was, had to do the Ben Carraway stuff to sort yeah, the shoulder out. Ben Carraway, uh, who's been on the pod. Yeah. So we did a lot of rehab stuff uh, with him, and that's hard, grueling sessions, you know, they're, but they're not boxing specific. Not helping your weight. Exactly. And mm. not helping the weight. So, and I started real heavy because when after the Eubank fight, dislocated shoulder, I did nothing. It was like a couch potato. I'm in an R in about what's next. Do I go in the final? Do I not? Do I talk about fighting a unification with DeGale? He has had like mandatory so do I go a different route do I do something else it was, it was, it was all up in the air for, for felt like a, for a long time I didn't want to walk away from my obligation of the tournament I didn't want to not win the tournament I was like yeah it's, we're going to work hard work hard work hard but yeah in that fight it was it was good enough but it could have been a lot better I've had fights where Felt a bit dicky. I'm trying to think if there's any. But at that point, the sort of ball's rolling, isn't it? You can't stop it. You just got to go with it. Well, yeah, that's if you're feeling part flat. Of it. You're like, fuck. Well, still got yeah. a fight. I had loads of experience, Deck. I did boxed all all around the world. Lucky enough to do so for England before it became GB as a junior. And so cadet level under 16, uh, young England level under 19. And yeah, you're out there for like two weeks in Russia. Like you're not going to be feeling great by yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Like you're just away from home, away from your comforts, away from your regular food. In a fight or flight atmosphere, it feels like, you know, you're mm. around fighters who are fighting sporadically throughout the week day day after day some are making weight some are anxious some are laid back you're seeing freaking monsters you're pretending they're no good you know like stuff like this so yeah but not, I can't think of anything where I've really apart from the last fight I'm sure something will crop up but mm. I think it's probably worth a pod that that fighting injured and just how often it happens and how you get through it and at what point is too much to fight with an injury right Jack Buckland thank for that mate easy one next this comes from a person just called Stafford who wins, Wilder or Joshua? I'd say Wilder because we've had... Yeah, you changed your mind, Malik, didn't you? Malik Scott on the show and he's an elite club member. He is. And I like the way he spoke. It's so much more potential for Wilder. I think Joshua's been a little bit more set in his ways. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Where, how, what do you think? I've always thought this one, that Wilder wins the fight. I just feel like style-wise, it's a good one. Wilder's tough as fuck. Like we saw that in the Fury fights where he's getting up and he's like, look what he's doing in both of, in the second one where he gets the towel thrown in, where Mark Breeden lost his job. And then the third one, which is just that up and down classic. He's so tough. He's proved himself. If Joshua's going to have to nail him to the floor, which I'm not sure he can do. Maybe, I mean, he can, he's big, but will, will he? Whereas what, and Wilder, we know that Joshua can go if he gets get clipped by someone like Wilder. But two anomalies on that. One, it's one of those fights where it's almost pointless to make a prediction because Either of them could get each other at any point. Like we've seen that in heavyweight boxing, not mm. a problem. Like, so whatever your prediction is, we've got another prediction coming up for another fight, but it's kind of going to be like anything can happen in that fight. So that's yeah. what makes it so tantalizing. But also we don't know yet about the influence of Derek James of Anthony Joshua. We've only seen him in the Franklin fight after one camp, but that is not to say that Joshua can't win the fight because he obviously can. But 
if I had a gun to my head, if you had a revolver against my head now, who's going to fucking win? I'd probably pick Wilder. Anyway, Stafford, thanks for the question. Do you know who else has been in touch? Who else? Callum Jones. He says, for George, if after retiring from boxing, he had completely left the sport and hadn't pursued punditry or the podcast, what does he think he would be doing career-wise now? Good question. It's interesting because people, you you know, you could become an agent. Like you were working for Wasserman at, at the time and bit, a bit of advising. Still you, involved in boxing. That's though. still boxing though, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, uh, there's, no fam- there's no family business for me no. to sort of take up I'll do stand up comedy okay yeah well we need to reignite the the comedy I mean with stand stand up comedian if he's asking me and he's got a job lined up just send it in yeah yeah all all applications and all suggestions he does guttering (laughs) he does guttering what do you want the gutter is too too high yeah too high that's a good one okay I think barbecues but yeah any suggestions or any offers worth it in it because it's probably pod will probably close down soon you're going to say something dodgy soon and he said for me if you collaborate could collaborate with any living boxer to write their autobiography who would you choose and why a living boxer yeah make it a good mate don't let me down James DeGale I know it is James, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. It's actually not because you know who I'd love to, whose book I'd love to write? Bernard Hopkins. There's no That's a of... nightmare though. Is he ever gonna be happy with the last draft? Yeah, maybe not. No, but it's a big story and no one's really done it. That would be a great one. You're working for less than minimum wage there. Yeah. Figure out how many hours you're spending on the stories. And another one, yeah. I'm sure, sure he's still alive. It's Emmanuel Augustus, who the, the drunken monk, they called him. Go and watch Emmanuel Augustus. So people say that he looked like when he was boxing it in his head, he could he had a good song stuck in his head the whole time, the way he moved and stuff. And he, But very interesting cat. Emmanuel Augustus, if you're listening, if you're still alive, I'd love to write your book. And Poochie. And Poochie. Oh, Poochie's book. He could write his own. The same with you. Like There's certain people, it's like, be better if you just wrote it yourself. You don't need a ghostwriter for it. Whereas Bernard Copkin's very busy. You didn't do fuck all. Just sit around, have a barbecue, just scribble some notes. Oh, this one. Amit Champaneri. Great podcast, guys. One of the best out there for boxing. One of the best. Whatever. One of the best out there for boxing chat, knowledge, and most of all, entertainment a regular commute listen my cue is what advice would george give to his younger self this is good pre degale pro fight now that would have helped him achieve his boxing goals even sooner so what would you say to the young george groves now i mean you well, won the I'm fight i'm to the gal i was pretty happy with what yeah. way it went there must be something that you could tell that young that young george groves maybe be, take better care of your shoulder or something maybe or get out of that contract with Adam Booth yeah don't re-sign that which I did after the girl thing because it's hard isn't it that's the thing with boxing is that that fight was razor razor close so like it was very close that fight but it went your way so then when you reflect on it it's like well I did everything right like I, like, I wouldn't yeah, yeah, change yeah. it but uh, if, if it had gone the other way then who knows yeah I mean, what about anything about boxing like the lifestyle or your situation at that point is there anything that you know now looking back and you could be like that young Groves could do it with knowing this. This would have helped him. This nugget of knowledge. You change like little bits and pieces about how you train. We did a bit of the grappling stuff and that was good training. Mm. So I'd already sort of been exposed to that. So like you, I mean, it was, it was Roman, Greco-Roman wrestling I was doing at the time. Some of the stuff I was doing, Ben Carraway near the end of my career, I'd love to have got involved mm. with him much earlier on in my career, built an even better and stronger foundation. But I think I tried. I tried my best in, to to apply myself and everything else. You know, I tried to get good sleep, tried to get good general rest, always trained really hard. And I was lucky. I got to travel and spar. You know, I was out sparring Darrell, Jacoby Fragamelli, who was a former world champion, um, Domenico Spada, who had 
books like Darren Bach and yeah. a few others, you know. Um, Frank Melly books, David Hay, didn't he? Yeah. Frank, I think it was your call, actually. Well, it was your call, yeah. Well, dedicated to the sport. And I tried to tick every box. You know what I mean? Mm. I tried to market myself, you know. It was before, like, YouTuber boxing. So I could, you know, maybe friend like KSI or something. The perceived wisdom is before that fight you nailed it in terms of like the way you came across the, the role you played in the build up with, with James and then therefore winning the fight as well so you kind of you must reflect on that period as like yeah that was a good spell. I went out to Miami to hang out with David Hay and that was... Was he drinking his protein shakes out of martini glasses? Like and Ruben Tabarez and yeah. club member. Oh yeah and you had the, the port he's making the, the porridge for you. Yeah, yeah he's like calorific but it, Ruben's like shredded 24-7 mm. and Hay's a heavyweight so I was like struggling. <laughs> Everything was garnished with like coconut infused, like berry Kool-Aid. No, what's it? What's yeah, it? Kool-Aid. Compot. 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 A little berry compot. Everything had a berry compot on it. It's like if you put bacon and cheese on anything, it makes it better. But if you put berry compot on it, it makes it better. Very nice.